to the book of Philippians once again, Philippians chapter 1, and I want you to begin um, reading, I want to begin reading at verse 3 from the New King James Version, we find these words recorded, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Verse six, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Today, I want to start preaching a series of sermons through the book of Philippians, which only has four chapters. Um, and I encourage you to read the book of Philippians so that you be better prepared uh, for the preached word. And the first sermon in the series I've entitled Mark of Mature Believers. Marks of Mature Believers. The book of Philippians was written by Paul the Apostle while he was in prison in Rome. Isn't that pretty remarkable? This book was written while Paul was incarcerated in Rome. The letter has been listed among Paul's prison epistles. In other words, letters that Paul wrote while he was in prison. This book, this book has been written um, along with the book of Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. Paul says, my bonds became manifest in Christ throughout the whole Praetorian God and to all the rest. And he conveys a greeting from those that are of Caesar's household. The Praetorian gods, the correction officers, if you will, of which Paul spoke, seems to be the Praetorian gods of Rome. They were the elite soldiers who were hand chosen to God and serve the emperor. So the implication here is that Paul was in prison, guarded by the emperor's elite God. Paul wrote the book of Philippians for four primary reasons, four themes. Everything in the book of Philippians can be tied to these four themes. First, he wanted to thank, thank the Philippian church family for their help throughout his ministry. That's clear in the book. He wanted to just to thank them for their help. He was grateful for their love and support, and he wanted to let them know it. And I, I reflected on this uh, this week, and I, I thought about that because every, every pastor ought to be thankful to the people of God that he has been allowed to serve. So Paul was thankful for their ministry. They loved him. They supported him. They were with him. Second, he wanted to call the church to unity and harmony. And again, every pastor, God called pastor, that's operating under the auspices of the Holy Spirit wants to see the church in unity and in harmony. 
And that's what Paul wanted. He, he wrote the letter to call them to be unified and to be in harmony with other, one another. Because after all, the church that is in unity with each other and a church that has harmony with each other will be a major witness to a world that is so disunified, that, that, that's so at odds with each other until when the church displays that unity and that harmony, what a tremendous witness it is. And third, Paul wanted to deal with some false teachers who were beginning to arise. Paul had laid down the groundwork, had taught the people and preached sound doctrine, but within the church arose false teachers who were beginning to push their false agenda. That's always a concern in a church. It's always a concern that that we stay on track doctrinally, that we open the word of God, that we preach from the word of God, that we teach from the word of God, that we tell the people what the word of God has to say. And fourth, Paul wanted to encourage his dear friend Epaphroditus. So today, as we begin our journey through this exciting book, of Philippians, we will examine five distinctive marks, distinctive marks, five trademarks, five characteristics of mature Christians. After all, Paul models what a mature Christian life should be. So we'll look at Paul's life as we make our way through these few verses today and, and lift out things that are indicators of Paul's mature walk with Jesus Christ. Let's begin with verse 3. Paul wrote, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. The first mark of a mature Christian we find in the text is the mark of a thankful heart. A thankful heart. Not an ungrateful heart, but a thankful heart. And we have a lot of young people here today. And I want to encourage you, our young people, to develop and cultivate Thankful hearts. Be thankful, first of all, to God who has done so much for you. Be thankful to your parents. Be thankful to your mother and your father. Be thankful to your church family that loves you and prays for you and supports you. Be thankful for the youth workers that come out here every Wednesday and other times, giving up their time, volunteering of their time to be a blessing to you, to teach you. Be thankful. Because that mark of a mature Christian is a thankful heart. Paul did not stand alone in the world. He was not the only person living for God and sharing the message of Jesus Christ. He realized that he belonged to a great, great, great family of believers who were radically sold out for Jesus Christ. They were just as radically sold out for Jesus as Paul was. And so he was thankful. What a joy it is to thank God for people who are radically sold out for Jesus Christ. I thank God for for people who who are radically sold out for Jesus Christ, who are committed to Jesus Christ. That's what Paul did. And that's what mature Christians do. We thank God for what he is doing. They, too, were living and sharing Christ as Paul was in a lost and needed world. And although Paul did not have their physical presence with them, as he sat there in that Roman prison cell, 
He thanked God. Even though he could not touch them, could not see them, he was still thanking God for their support. He remembered as he sat there incarcerated their love. He remembered as he sat there incarcerated their care for him. He remembered as he sat there incarcerated the support that they had given him and his heart swelled up with thanksgiving because of them. And he thanked God for their presence. What a lesson this is for us. If Paul thanked God for believers who were so far away from him, how much more should you and I thank God for each other? Now, I know we, we, sometimes we take each other for, for granted, but, but this text calls us back to thanking God for, for each other. I know we're around each other a lot, and I know sometimes we can even get on each other's nerves, but this text, this mark of a mature Christian is that we thank God for our brothers and sisters in Christ. How much more should we be thankful for one another? We live together. We, we worship together. Every Sunday we come here and we worship together. We attend Bible study together on Wednesday night. Last week, the men and women were on a retreat together. We, we prayed together. We studied together. We served together. We can, can call on each other day and night for support. Because that's the kind of church this is. We, we call on each other day and night for support. Sometimes you need a shoulder to cry on. Sometimes you need somebody else that knows what you're going through and knows about this battle. So you call them up day and night for support, and they're there. How much more then should we be thankful to God for another, one another? Can I encourage us today not to take each other for granted? Not to take it lightly that we have each other. Not to, not, not to, to, to take each other's kindness for, for granted, but to thank God. We ought to be thanking God for one another. I thank God for my Good Hope family. My wife and I constantly thank God for Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church, and we ought to thank God for each other. Second, there is the mark of prayer. Now, again, young people, one thing you need to know and learn, that is how to pray. You, you need to be able to pray. You, you need to be able to talk to God. You need to understand what prayer is. And I encourage your parents and grandparents, teach your children how to pray. One of the things my grandmother taught me as a young boy was how to pray. Paul said in verse 4 that he always, get this, prayed for the church. The idea is that Paul had the church constantly on his mind and that he consistently lifted them name by name to God in prayer. How many of us today lift each other by name to God in prayer? I've been so blessed because since being at this church, I've had people come up to me and tell me, Pastor, I pray every day for you and your wife, for Sister Pickett. They are lifting us up by name in prayer because that's what mature Christians do. We, we pray for one another. Now, now, in contrast, people of the world, people who reject 
renounced, refused Jesus, people with hatred in their hearts, greed in their hearts, selfish ambition in their hearts, self-centeredness, pride, arrogance, and quest for power, spend their days, get this, and their nights plotting, scheming, manipulating, planning, trying to find ways to tear other people down. Because that's what they do. That's what the world does. They spend time, energy, efforts, and money trying to find ways to tear each other down. But Christians, on the other hand, mature believers who subscribe to the message, the mandate, and the model of Jesus Christ pray for one another because that's what we do. And those prayers are not a rarity but they are a regularity. And when a church, when a church, when a body of believers in Jesus Christ, when those who love the Lord, when we are inundated, saturated, and marinated in prayers for one another, remarkable things happen. Can I get a witness here? When we pray for each other, radical things happen when we pray for each other ridiculous things happen we look at each other and we look at those prayers answered and we say that's just so ridiculous how God worked that thing out but when we pray radical things transforming things powerful things mighty things marvelous things miraculous things will happen when we pray Things like people loving on each other in spite of disagreements. Have you noticed that? Prayer, prayer, things happen. Things like loving on each other in spite of disagreements. Things like people coming together to help those who have fallen into sin or fallen upon hard times. When we pray, things happen like the alleviation of critical spirits and hard-hearted attitudes, things like forgiveness and reconciliation between church members happen when we pray. All of these blessings and countless others are a direct result of mature Christians praying for one another. And we all need prayer because we all mess up sometimes. Am I right about it? We all need prayer because we all drop the ball sometimes. We, we all need prayer because none of us hit the mark all the time. We all need prayer because every once in a while we can get it on each other's best nerves, but when we pray, we find out that it's all good anyway because prayer has a way of getting us through tough times. The third mark of a mature Christian is joy. Notice what Paul states in verse 4. Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you, get this, with joy. Paul said, I'm, I'm praying on your behalf with, with joy. I'm not praying on your behalf with an attitude. I'm praying on your behalf with joy. Remember now, Paul is in prison, yet his heart is filled with joy. The Greek word used for joy in verse 4 is the word chara. Chara means inner gladness. 
Chara means a deep-seated pleasure. This joy, this chara of which Paul wrote, is not about surface feelings or superficial emotions. Why? Because surface feelings and superficial emotions change. Have, have you noticed that? Joy, a chara, is not about happiness, which is rooted in happenings. In other words, I'm happy in, in depending on the happenings. If I get the job that I want, I'm happy. If I get the promotion that I want, I'm happy. Some of the brothers say, if I get the girl of my dreams, I'm happy. Some of the ladies say, if I get the guy of my dreams, I'm happy. I'm happy. But, but our happiness, joy is different from happiness because happiness is rooted in happenings. Rather, joy, chara, is rooted in God. It's a supernatural phenomenon. That's the reason why the songwriter wrote this joy that I have. The world didn't give it to me, and the world sure can't take it away. It's a supernatural phenomenon. If there's anybody here who knows what it's like to have supernatural joy, it is of the Holy Spirit. It is the satisfying and assuring confidence that God implants in the heart of every mature believer that overrides despair, despondency, discouragement, or even disillusionment. That's the reason why you can still have joy even though your situation is messed up. You can still have joy even though you didn't get the job. You can still have joy even though you were passed over for the promotion. You can still have joy even though you didn't get the girl you wanted or the guy you wanted. You can still have joy because your joy overrides despair and it comes from God. The fourth mark of mature Christian of a mature Christian is fellowship. Verse 5 states, for your fellowship in the gospel from the very day until now. The source of the fellowship is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The source of the believer's fellowship, of your fellowship, my fellowship together, is Jesus. Jesus who died for our sins on Calvary's cross. Jesus who paid our sin debt, irregardless of what it is. Jesus who paid our sin debt. Jesus who rose victoriously from the grave. And Jesus who conquered death that we might live eternally with God. Mature Christians have genuine fellowship. Not this fake stuff. Not this phony stuff. Not this frivolous stuff. You know, you meet a lot of people and you have relationships and you know it's fake, right? I mean, you know it's false. You know, sometimes in your place of employment, you know folks ain't real. You know, you know when people are playing games, you know, you know when people want to have fellowship with you or relationship with you because they think they can get something out of you. We saw a lot of that while we were in the military. Am I right about it? 
if you were somebody's raider, if you were somebody's supervisor, sometimes they would be real nice to you and, and do what it was you asked them to do. But the bottom line is that they wanted a good report card from you so that when promotion time came, they would look good. But that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about the genuine fellowship, the real fellowship. This is talking about the fellowship I feel with the associate pastors and they feel towards me. This is a fellowship rooted in Jesus that I feel with our deacon staff and they feel with the pastoral staff. This is the kind of fellowship that our brothers feel as we fellowship together and our sisters feel the same. We here at the Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church are bound together around the essence and the significance of the gospel. That's what it's all about. We're not bound together because of our pretty building. Yeah, it's a pretty building, but that's not we, what, what binds us together. We, we, we're not bound together because our building is paid for. That was a great accomplishment. You did that through tithes and offerings, but that's not what binds us together. We're not bound together because of the degrees and the education of the pastoral staff. We're not bound together by all of those kind of things. They have their place, but what binds us together is our relationship to Jesus Christ. It is the essence and significance of the gospel that holds us together. It is the gospel, the life, the death, the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the hope that he's coming back again. It is the gospel that motivates our shared union in spite of our differences. The only way we get along the way we do is because of the gospel. The only way we work together as well as we do is because of the gospel. The gospel motivates our shared union in spite of our different races, in spite of our different cultures, in spite of our different backgrounds. Some of us have good backgrounds, uh, relatively speaking, but some of us got backgrounds. We come out of some stuff. Ah, some of us got some messed up stuff on our resume. Some of us, everything wasn't so nice. Every I wasn't dotted. Every T wasn't crossed. Some of us got some stuff in our past, but yet we get together because of the gospel. Because of the gospel, there are no big eyes and little U's. Because of the gospel, there's no, no holier than thou. It's all about the gospel. Because can I tell you something? When we measure ourselves against each other, we can look pretty good, can't we? We can say, well, I don't smoke and I don't drink and, and I've never been in jail and, and I haven't done this and I haven't done that. But when we measure ourselves against Jesus, as holy and as righteous as we think we are, when we measure our righteousness against the cross, we find out that we're all in this thing together. It's the gospel that helps us to see that in spite of our differences, different economics, uh, education, and even gender differences, it is the union of the gospel that generates our fellowship. In other words, my brothers and sisters, it's all about Jesus. When we come to this place, it's all about Jesus. It's not about self. It's all about Jesus. Notice what the psalmist said about the fellowship in Psalm 119.63. 
He said, I am a companion, get this now, of all them that fear thee. What he's saying is, all of those that fear God, I'm their companion. I'm a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. In other words, if you are keeping the word of God, we are companions. All of that other stuff can go out of the way. If you love the Lord, like I love the Lord, and if we're working to serve the Lord, we are companions. And, our, and in our context, the psalmist would say, if you know Jesus, and I know Jesus, if we are saved by his cleansing blood, filled with his Holy Spirit, then we have fellowship one with another. Mature Christians understand, as did the psalmist, that fellowship among those who genuinely know God, genuinely love God, and genuinely serve God supersedes differences that tend to drive people apart. Let me say that again. Those who genuinely know God, I'm not talking about playing church. I'm not talking about going through the mud, but those who are real with God, those who authentically love Jesus and serve Jesus, our fellowship supersedes any other differences that tend to drive us apart. And can I tell you something else, too? If our love for the Lord, our fellowship in the Spirit, if it's not motivating us to get beyond our petty differences, there's something wrong with that picture. Am I right about it? Fifth and finally today, the mark of a mature Christian is confidence. Notice verse 6 where Paul wrote, being confident. He didn't say I got to think about. I'm imagining confidence. I'm pondering confidence. No, he said, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work, uh, in other words, God has started something in you. When you got saved, God put his spirit in you. He started a good work in you. He will complete it. Until the day of Jesus Christ. Confidence. Not in ourselves alone. Confidence not in our money. Confidence in our, not in our accomplishments. But confidence in the isness of God. That is confidence in who God is. And confidence in the ability of God is an essential trademark of a mature believer. How many of you know that what God starts, he finishes? You see, we are subject to start a relationship, a project, or a venture, and things happen along the way, and we don't finish what we start. Every one of us here today have started something and we didn't finish it. Sometimes people get tired and just quit. I 
don't know, maybe you worked on a project with somebody. You're trying to get something done, yard work, a fix, a car, whatever the case may be, a cooking project, a, a, a project on your job, and people just get tired. They say, I'm quit. I'm going home. That's it for me. Sometimes people get frustrated and quit. I, I've been in church work quite some time, and I've seen a lot of folk that get frustrated, throw in the towel, just quit, just walk away, give it up. Sometimes people get angry and disgruntled and just quit. Sometimes people lose interest and and quit. Sometimes people run out of energy and quit. I've been around the church, and I've seen people come in with both guns blazing. Smoking guns, just as hot as a firecracker, all this energy, and just in a matter of sometimes weeks, months, or uh, uh, not even a year, and you look around, and they're gone. That's the reason why, that's the reason why, I mean, I, I get excited uh, uh, about people, but I've learned, I've learned the art of watching and waiting. Sometimes people run out of energy and quit. Sometimes people run out of money and quit. I've seen building projects. Great ideas. Folk build and, and run out of money. And then you see materials on the ground and grass growing up. And window panes burst because they ran out of money and they quit. Well, Paul wants us to know that that's not the way God operates. Paul informed the Philippian church that when God starts a work, God finishes that work. That's good news, ain't it? That's good news knowing that God finishes whatever he starts. The good work that God started in Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church a hundred, over 127 years ago, before any of us got here, God will finish. And can I tell you something else? If the Lord tarries his coming, when we are gone, the work will go on. Can I get a witness here? I love being a pastor here. I enjoy it so much. This has been the best almost eight, 17 and a half years, going on 18 years of my ministry. But guess what? When Linnell Pickett is gone, we'll have a great, I hope, hallelujah, shouting time. If I should die out of here. All right? But I hope that I live old and long enough and get old enough so that I can walk out of here. <laughs> Just like I walked in here. But I, but I want you to know that whenever that time is up, the work will continue on because the church belongs to God and not to people. And so we don't need to get wrapped around the axle about people coming and people going because people go and come all the time. The work is not anchored in people. The work is anchored in the Lord Jesus Christ. So God started this work over 127 years ago. He will finish it. 
the work of evangelism, the work of discipleship, the work of missions. God started in good hope. God will finish. He finishes his work. He finished our salvation. Did you know that? When God saved you, when God sanctified you, when God filled you with his spiritual presence, with his Holy Spirit, some folks said with his Holy Ghost, it was not a temporary fix. It was permanent. And speaking of the permanency of the work of salvation, Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 1, verses 10 and 12, Paul said, For I know whom I have believed. Paul said, And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul vehemently declares, God finishes the work. Jude 24 and 25 expresses confidence in God's ability to finish the work in this fashion. Jude wrote, now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding great joy to the only wise God, our Savior. Jude said, be glory, he'll finish the work. And majesty, he'll finish the work. Dominion and power, both now and forevermore. Amen. God.